got to the point where I was coming to work and it's, you know, some of the doors, they have like a little window you can look through before you walk into a building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would look through the little window and if I saw someone coming down the hall, I would wait until they would leave before mm-hmm. I would walk into the office because I didn't want to see anybody. So wow. that's when I knew, hey, you got, you got to go. This is, this is not working out for you. You need to go. So I left a almost 20 year career um, working as an aerospace engineer and basically um, <laughs> quit and moved to South Africa. And I've been here since uh, last year. I'm Felina Jean, and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011, and I have not looked back except at this ass, honey. Since then, I've lived on four continents with travel to over 40 countries. Along my journey, I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast to inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. Tina L. Williams LLC was founded by Miss Williams in 2017 by force. For years, she conducted the infamous trademark Dubai blackout trips as a hobby, but friends convinced her to turn her passion of showing people the world into something greater to inspire others to travel. Miss Williams is known in travel circles as the creator of the trademark phrase, book that ish, and one of the survivors of the Panama 13 accident of 2015. She has been featured in Essence Magazine, Huffington Post, and various travel blogs and outlets. Miss Williams is an aerospace engineer by trade, but her real passion is exploration as she is a descendant of the explorer, Matthew Henson. Ms. Williams hosts several group trips throughout the year, and she also provides travel consulting and planning plus private hire. Welcome, Keena. Hi, thank you for having me today. Thank you for, um, thank you for being a guest. So I'll give like a little bit of backstory to how we even became acquainted with one another because um, like, Obviously, the same circles, like OGs of No Madness Travel Tribe, like circa 2011. Um, and I've bumped into you probably on like at least three different continents. But yes. We, we've never, <laughs> at least. Um, but we've never, like, we've never, like, had a real conversation. So I'm excited to, um, to do this interview with you. So Awesome. Thank you. My first question is, how are you doing? We're both in Johannesburg, quarantined as fuck, <laughs> in our respective <laughs> flats. And you, my dear, are a self-professed extrovert. So <laughs> how are you particularly doing during this lockdown? Well, you know, as someone that is, a, oh, I don't know if I'm a self-processed um, extrovert, I like to think of myself as a um uh, extroverted introvert as mm-hmm. I'm learning but um this lockdown has been quite interesting for me as you know we spent the, the first um five weeks on a very serious lockdown now we're now going into week three of a modified level four lockdown and this lockdown has um I, I've gained a few new skills um cooking. yes you have <laughs> <laughs> yes you have cooking uh, because, you know, for, for someone like myself, a single woman, I'm used to 
hey, Uber Eats, going out to my favorite restaurants. And here, you know, we can't, for the first five weeks, we didn't have Uber Eats, um, no takeaway, nothing. So I was forced to cook. So um, definitely learned that and also learned to breathe a little bit and um, only control the things that, you know, only worry about the, the things that I can control. So that was something that, you know, just had to learn. Yeah, the, uh, you know, I was actually really shocked that <laughs> you said you didn't know how to cook because you are from Memphis, honey. Like, <laughs> how, how did that even happen? That's probably a whole other conversation. I was like, what? Cause, you know, we're this group chat. It's just this group chat of expat Black women in South Africa. And Keenan been showing her uh, home-cooked meals. I'm like, go ahead, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, so you know, proud funny, of you. I tell people that yeah, I, I try. I tell people that you know, for years, um, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to say I'm a pampered princess or anything like that. But I mean, when you you know you live by yourself, it's just so easy to just run up and go get something very quickly instead of cooking. And the time it would take for me to cook a full course meal, I could have picked it up and paid for it, you know, for cheaper somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you know, this was one of those situations where. You know, I'm, I'm all, you know, cooking every day now and making more complex dishes. Like, like this weekend, I made a Jamaican steamed fish. I've already made peach cobbler. You know, I'm like, who am I? <laughs> right? I didn't, uh, I can cook, but, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm single too. I cook when I'm in a relationship. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, but like now, like, I'm, I was Uber Eats all the time like every single day I haven't Same here yeah especially since I've been back in South Africa but I'm even though they opened up um, Uber Eats again I'm a little bit skeptical and like this this probably sounds you know just American as fuck but uh, my concern is that like most of the 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 service community they live in townships mm -hmm. so it's impossible mm -hmm. to socially distance uh, if it's 10 people in a house and, you know, communal bathroom. Yeah, it's hard. Like, yeah, it's so hard. I'm like, hard. I'm far less apt to do participate in Uber Eats as much as I'm like, I guess I'm starting to like cooking more for myself. I guess it's an act yeah. of self-care. It's an act of self-care for sure. I just don't like these dishes. <laughs> Girl, I know. I was like, I wish it was like paper pots and pans because <laughs> there was a such thing. So, okay. I want you to kind of walk me through your trajectory of becoming an expat because as I mentioned in your bio, you are an aerospace engineer by trade and you've been a voracious traveler for a number of years. So, what led you to retire and relocate to South Africa from California? Um, well, I knew for years that I wanted to move overseas, but I wasn't sure um, <clears throat> how the process would work. And, you know, could I do this? Can I afford this? You know, am I crazy? Am I going nuts? Um, 2015, I had an accident later that year. Well, that year I basically started, you know, made, made the decision to um, just live my life however I wanted to live it. If I didn't, I didn't care what people thought about what I did, didn't care if they didn't like anything about me because, you know, <laughs> I'm the one that has to live my life. So 2015, around November or so, I remember telling my parents that, hey, I want to take um, 
I want to take a couple of years off work. I'm sorry, a couple of months off work just to uh, refocus because I was disappointed in my job. You know, you apply for promotions and then they tell you that you don't qualify or you don't have enough experience. And then you see someone else get the position and you're like, are you serious? <laughs> mm. <laughs> are you serious? Mm. This person, really? Mm. And I just said, fine. Um, 2018, um, my mother passed away and then a month, I'm sorry, two oh, days wow. after she passed sorry. away, uh, my, uh, thank you. Um, two days after she passed away, my coworker who sat next to me at work passed away. Oh. And one of the things that really helped me, I guess, push out to leave was um, basically two weeks after that happened, I went back to work and I had my performance evaluation and my um, supervisor at the time, she told me, she says, you know, you're on task to get everything done for this year. Um, however, you know, I had asked for two months off work to grieve, you know, I don't want to be at work crying every day. So I go, you know, doing my performance evaluation, she says, if you could take two months off work without, you know, because I asked, I wanted to do this without getting paid. And she said, if you can do this, you must be doing all right in life. And also, just to let you know, if you do this, you just, you, you are replaceable. Mm. And I said, I'm replaceable. I didn't say anything at that time because I knew if I had opened my mouth, <laughs> the you might get replaced. <laughs> Girl. Wait, we from South Memphis or North out. Memphis, honey? South Memphis, which part uh, of Memphis? I'm a little Southeast. It was going to come out. <laughs> so, you know, she said, she says, you know, you, you are replaceable. And, um, but she told me during that time that, you know, I was really upset. I was angry. Like, you know, my mother just passed away, my just passed away who worked with me. This is what you have to tell me. And, but she told me one thing, she says, you should pursue your real passions in life. If you decide to leave this job, we will miss you, but we understand. But at the time I wasn't, I couldn't hear that. I couldn't hear that. I was really upset with her because I was like, you know, what the hell, you know, what is this? Why are you telling me this? But I realized, you know, after the fact that her words were basically trying to push me to do what I really wanted to do, which was leave. I was unhappy at work. I was at the point where I was at work. Um, I ended up after that um, situation with my former supervisor, I moved to a different uh, department and um, it got to the point where I was coming to work and it's, you know, some of the doors, they have like a little window you can look through before you walk into a building. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would look through the little window. And if I saw someone coming down the hall, I would wait until they would leave before uh-huh. I would walk into the office because I didn't want to see anybody. So wow. that's when I knew, hey, you got, you got to go. This is, this is not working out for you. You need to go. So I left a almost 20 year career uh, working as an aerospace engineer and basically um, <laughs> quit and moved to South Africa, and I've been here since uh, last year. Wow, that's um, that's an amazing story, and it's also a reoccurring theme with mm-hmm. um, many of the Black women that I've interviewed, myself included. You know, you have these corporate, in my case, like academic jobs, and mm-hmm. just the bureaucracy and the rampant white supremacy, and people who are grossly underqualified <laughs> being given promotions is it's crazy i'm glad you chose freedom i'm glad you were brave enough to choose freedom yeah 
Definitely, and definitely. the geo arbitrage in South Africa is great. If you earn in dollars in this mug, <laughs> you live in real well. <laughs> so there was Especially like, <laughs> right? And there, there wasn't an interruption with your standard of living. Sometimes people have this idea of Africa being like underdeveloped. No, dear. <laughs> like, at least here, you no. know, the, the infrastructure in South Africa is amazing. Yeah, and the quality of life. Definitely, you know, definitely. And I, obviously, I'm speaking of the quality of life from a Western lens. I'm, I'm aware of that privilege. So, mm -hmm. okay. Um, in 2017, you founded your travel company and the hashtag book that ish. How did that idea come along? And when did you know that you could monetize your hobby of planning trips for your friends and turn it into a viable business? Uh, book that ish. Book that ish was um, <clears throat> something that I was just saying it as a joke, you know, book that ish, book that ish, book that ish. I would say it on every um, thread in all of these travel groups and what have you. And um, I just, you know, <laughs> kept saying it, 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 whatever, it just became a, a lifestyle at that point. And I have a friend that's an attorney and, you know, she was like, why aren't you, you know, making this a trademark? I was like, okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> I finally uh, made it a trademark um, back then. As far as the travel company, um, this was one of those things where, you know, I really, I don't know, this is one, of, I would say it's one of those things where I became a business person um, on a fluke. This wasn't my plan. <laughs> this Ooh. wasn't my idea because I was doing this basically um, as a hobby. I go to my full-time job um, in the daytime and in the evening I will post on Facebook and say, Hey, um, here's a flight deal to Peru, Costa Rica, Dubai, or wherever who wants to go. And next thing I know, I've got 20, 30 people signing up. I started a little Facebook group and I say, Hey, okay, I don't know what you guys are going to do, but this is what I'm going to do. My full itinerary, this is where I'm going to stay. And this is the car I'm going to use or whatever. And I said, you can follow me if you can, or if you want to, but you're not required. Next thing I know, the whole group will follow. So, <laughs> so I did so many of those to the point where I was like, yo, this is work. Because, you know, when you're planning um, trips, a lot of people, we, those in the travel industry, we like to joke and say that people think all we do is book Viatar trips. No, we don't. But, um, <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time and a lot of nights, you know, um, talking to um, vendors in other countries and I realized yo this is work people are getting paid for this I'm up late you know trying to communicate with someone in a different time zone and um, one of my best friends and then my also my attorney again basically said you know what are you doing you know why aren't you turning this into a business so um, technically speaking I guess I had been really doing this since 2014 um, mm -hmm. not realizing what I was doing was actually a business and then in 2017, I uh, incorporated and turned into um, a LLC under my name. Wow. Okay. So um, obviously, this pandemic has changed every industry, and the, the travel industry is has been particularly hit. How do you see your company like pivoting and adapting to um, a post-pandemic world? Um, really great question, especially right now. We are, I don't want to say we're, in, I guess you could say we're in a holding pattern at this time. Mm -hmm. I'm currently involved in several um, tourism think, think tank groups here in South Africa and also involved with other smaller groups. So we're all 
talking, discussing what the next um, plans are. However, I don't think anyone really has a definite answer. We see places opening up, but until it's uh, fully open, I think we're going to be, at, I don't wanna say the standstill, but at a point where it's going to be uh, maybe a little bit longer. I've already moved some of my 2020 um, itineraries off to 2021 already. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen here. So hopefully things will open back up or else I'm going to become a official bootlegger because I'm making <laughs> so much alcohol here. So, <laughs> so that's where we are now. But no, seriously, I do think that we will uh, recover. It may take a little bit longer than what we expect. I'm hearing some places are saying, you know, maybe September, October. Um, some places are saying maybe January. Uh, we don't know. However, I do feel like we will recover. It just may take, it may take time, but people need to uh, realize that, be flexible and realize, you know, we all want to go. I mean, I have my flights canceled from March to July and I've got other flights I'm pretty sure are going to get canceled as well, but you know, we will recover. Yeah. I'm really, uh, personally, I'm like, I don't think that people are really going to want Americans in their damn countries looking at this like abysmal response to the crises. I wonder yeah, when, that's another thing yeah, that's, a, that's a, like a huge consideration uh, right now because unfortunately we're like the laughing stock of the world, our response. I'm going to even call it a response. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's a lot of things. Here, I was going to say here in the, in the local um, think tank group I'm in here in South Africa, um, they realize that a lot of their funding for these trips, they're coming from outsiders, whether they're coming from the European countries, they're coming from the Americas, or, you know, South, I'm sorry, um, Australia, New Zealand, these places. And they're realizing now that um, tourism here locally, they're saying for the probably the first couple of months, will have to be domestic tourism. And yeah. how do we get people to see the beauty of, you know, where they're from? Like even in America, I there are some states that I need to go to. Um, you know, maybe eventually I'll get there. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and it's an important pivot too. Okay, I'm glad that mm -hmm. there. I mean, I, I'm glad that there are think tanks, and that you guys are like actively uh, ideating on what's to come. All yeah, right. definitely. We meet every. I was gonna say we are, these think tank, think tank groups. Every day we have what I would call like a homework that we have to do. So they post a question in the group, and every day you must respond to. You know, what do you think about this? how to do this and you know it's been really really helpful instead of people um i don't want to say crying but to the point where people are like oh help me help me it's like sometimes you need to help yourself and helping yourself can be um reaching out helping other people um talking about okay i have an idea what do you think about this so that those groups have been very very helpful for that wow that's good so I mentioned in your bio that you are a descendant of Matthew Henson, who was um, an African-American explorer, and he went on seven voyages to the Arctic in the 19th century. That's like amazing pedigree. So first of all, do you believe in the concept of um, epic memory, which is like the idea that DNA, ancestral DNA has memory and it's embedded in us? And how do you think sharing his DNA has influenced um, the manner in which you explore? 
Another excellent question. Um, definitely, I would say, yes, I do feel like um, those of our ancestors that have passed on, obviously passed on, um, their spirits still live in us. And we can, you know, cherish that, hone that in the way that we live our lives. I mean, personally, um, I would say, not necessarily for Mackie Henson, but more so for my grandmother, Eudora Henson Small. Um, she was a phenomenal woman and loved to travel. She never made it overseas. However, um, I used to joke when I lived in California that my grandmother was the only relative that um, visited me more than anyone else in my family, which wow, <laughs> it's unusual because she was the type of person where she didn't have a lot of money, but she would get on a bus, you know, get in a car and go from Mississippi to California with my cousins wow. just because she wanted to um, see the world, see things or what, whatever. I wish that, you know, she had still been around where we could, you know, go other places or whatever she passed in 2014. But I do believe that her spirit of wanting to go places, traveling and things of that nature definitely passed on to me. And then looking further into the other Hensons with Matthew Henson, definitely with that explorer type um, spirit. Um, definitely, definitely. I would say that's uh, definitely with me. Uh, that's how old was your grandmother getting on a bus from Mississippi to California? Ooh, she was at that time, she probably was in her maybe late, late, yes, I would was, I was in the 80s, maybe. Oh, that's maybe beautiful. Maybe in her 80s. That is so beautiful. I love that independence. She would get up and go. That's, yeah, you she know, was that's my plan. <laughs> because, I mean, I've been overseas for almost 10 years now, and the only family, aside from, you know, the little ungrateful ones that I sponsor trips for, the only, mm -hmm. the only relative <laughs> that came to see me was my 75 year old uncle at the time he flew wow. from la to had a layover in dubai to qatar to visit me and he stayed for two weeks the only relative honey <laughs> that came wow. on that yeah so you like I, I i like i dig that i dig that <laughs> so, now my cousins i was saying they, they travel with me so you know i'm, I'm used to to them going places with me <laughs> So kind of on a, um, on a more somber note, in 2015, you endured an unthinkable tragedy in Panama um, on a trip with some friends from Nomadness Travel. And unfortunately, some friends passed away in an accident and you were one of the survivors. Um, how, how did that experience like change you and change your perspective on life? And I mean, this is kind of a weird question, but I, I mean, mm -hmm. I kind of hear this concept. Did you, did you suffer with any kind of survivor, survivor's remorse? Okay. Um, with this question, let's see, the experience, um, definitely having that, um, going through this particular accident, which um, for those that don't know, um, 2015, I was in Panama, um, had an accident, it was with 13, well, 12 other people. We were, um, up in the hills of Panama. Unfortunately, our vehicle lost control and then we went over a cliff. And um, during that accident, um, you know, at the, at the time that it was happening, um, I don't know, that, this is probably the comments I've ever been in my entire life where I had just realized and said, okay, if this is my life, this is how it ends. 
Wow. So be it. I was, I was doing what I love to do, which was travel. So wow. um, I was okay with whatever happened at that particular moment. So I basically did a, and that was it. Um, but you know, obviously, um, I survived that accident. Um, that particular accident gave me the opportunity to, um, really live at this point, um, to the point where I, as I was mentioning earlier, I just do what I want to do. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people say about me. I just do whatever, because I, at this point, I've, I've already, you know, gotten so close to death that what more can you take from me? What more can you do to me? Nothing. You know, I've already seen it, you know, <laughs> nothing at this time. So it changes you to um, appreciate life a lot better. Um, so you are more eh, in tune, more thankful, more grateful for things. And um, one interesting thing I said about this particular accident was it allowed me to write all the wrongs that I had done in my life. A lot of people know me and they're like, oh, you seem so perfect. I'm like, please, not even, because no one is. And I, um, I, I, I joke about this now, but um, <laughs> I had had surgery uh, for my accident. Uh, I was in Panama in the hospital for about a week, flew to the States to my parents' house and um, had surgery in Memphis. Uh, I think a week or so after that surgery, I called my ex-husband. I called him, apologized for everything I had ever said to him, everything I had put him through or whatever. And the first thing he told me, he says, are you on drugs? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm kind of hooked up to morphine. So I guess you could say I am. So that allowed me to um, put, put a situation where I have done a lot of wrong and just basically make that situation um, right. As far as suffering, um, survivor's remorse, uh, no one has ever asked me this question. So this is the first time I've actually um, answered this. Um, I don't feel like I suffered any um, survivor's remorse. Um, I'm not saying that what happened to our two friends was fair, but it's one of those things where I could not control that. Right. You know, we had no idea who was going to survive. Um, who was going to have what injuries? Everybody in this particular accident had some type of serious injury, whether you had a broken bag, you know, whether you had a broken ankle, your arm was cut up, or whatever the situation was. And I think um, I don't call it survivor's remorse. It was more of a thing where the people in this particular um, group, um, I don't know, they're like forever my blood sisters. Uh, and blood brothers at this um, at this point in life, and we do try to you know keep in contact as much as possible. And every January, I'm in Panama um, during that time frame as a reminder of this was your life. You know, this is where you started. So, although I'm American, I tell people after having a life changing accident, wherever you have that life changing accident, that place becomes your home. So I tell people I'm an honorary Panamanian at this point. Mm -hmm. um, to the point I actually have a tattooed on my back so <laughs> oh you have I but, am um, a Panamanian 
It says I am a Panamanian. No, I've got um, <laughs> I've got some Panama stuff on. I'm tattooed on my back. Not I'm honorary Panamanian. Okay. But I'm just trying to get that done now. <laughs> you know what? I know a police officer that got his badge number tattooed on him, and I just was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that might be too much. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm um, one of the uh, one of the reasons I interviewed you was because your name kept coming up in like several of the interviews I've done, and I was speaking to. Um, Avita did an interview with her uh, about a month ago and um, okay yeah and she one of the things she remarked about you because I mean we OGs with tribe so we was there like day one yes. we've seen how <laughs> it has morphed and you know there's been divisions and so forth and so on she said of all of the groups that spawn after no madness and um, no madness was the first <laughs> me make that abundantly uh -huh. clear <laughs> was the first <laughs> She said that um, you went about um, doing your business um, so gracefully and it wasn't no undercutting. It wasn't no like, you know, um, poaching people from her group. She really sang your mm -hmm. praises um, as a businesswoman. So that's good. You have a Thank reputation you. that precedes you, my dear. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I can't say the same about everybody. That's a whole other show because there's <laughs> So much tea. One day I just, I want to do some like anonymous tea because it was so much shit going on in that group and just not mention no names. Anyway, I'm a petty bitch. Yes. Onward. <laughs> um, <laughs> onward, onward, onward. We won't go that direction. Um, <laughs> so what's, um, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned about stepping outside of your comfort zone? Um. The biggest lesson is, um, well, there's several, but one that I can think of at the top of my head now is true happiness is doing what you really love. And stepping outside your comfort zone will give you the ability to reach what you really want. You're living your goals, your desires, your dreams um, without any interruption from others. The, well, let me take that back because... There may be some interruptions from others, but it's up to you to manage that interruption, whether to delete it, um, forget it, block those people, whatever, because I've had my fair share of people not happy with my current decision, but I'm a grown woman and I will do what right? I want. <laughs> Period. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean... One of the one of the reasons that I even started to uh, this is Black Broads Abroad platform is to um, encourage well to build a community of Black expat women and then like provide a sisterhood for those who want to make the transition. So, what advice do you have for Black women that are considering the idea of becoming expats and especially like? mature black women we not like spring chickens <laughs> mm -mm. so i mean what do you what advice do you have for like fully grown women who want to make the jump well one thing is <laughs> your life is getting shorter so do it now how much time do you really have you know go ahead and do this don't look at how old you are i'm you know i'm over 40 and i'd make this move being over 40, um, I'd left a very well-paying job just to do what I want to do. And I could not be 
um, more happier than doing this, you know, don't be afraid to give up some things. Um, I, I jokingly tell people I left a, a three-story condo to move into a one-bedroom apartment, which I'm okay with. I still own the house in California. However, um, happiness is not determined by material things. You know, it is the ability to say, you know, I can get up in the morning and decide, you know what, let me go answer my client emails this morning. Or you know what, mm, I think I feel like avocado toast today or whatever the case is. Basically, just do it. Just do it, no matter what your age is. As long as you can get there, follow the visa procedures or whatever, just go. Just go. Yeah, that's good advice. Just book, just book that ish. You know? I was about to Right? But that's the whole word about uh, having less. And mm -hmm. I can say that, like, you know, I've had you know, the trappings of she-she, foo-foo lifestyle across continents. Mm -hmm. And I'm here in South Africa in a studio apartment with a quarter <laughs> of my belongings here with me. And I mm -hmm. am happy as fuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh, packing light, pack light. Yes. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. <laughs> That's a real thing, okay? You know what? You just brought up a, a really, really interesting point. You're talking about packing light. I know for me, when I left the States, um, I basically got rid of everything I had. I had two cars. One car I gave away to one of my relatives. The other car I sold for dirt cheap because I just didn't want nothing. I you know, sold everything in my house, whatever I didn't sell, um, gave it away to friends, uh, put my house up for rent, and just, I came here with four bags. That's it. Yeah. And I decided that's that's all I really need. Everything else, I, I just don't care. And you know, I had people who were like, "Are you crazy? Everything just gone?" Because these material things didn't make me happy. You know, I was sitting in a job making a really nice salary, and I still wasn't. You know, and here I am. You know, here in my little less than five hundred square foot apartment overlooking Sanson, and I'm like, "Yo, this is life. This is great." So, yeah. but it works for me. You know, works for and others. But it works for me. I like that you're in the bougie part. Uh, by the way, Kena lives in Santon, which is the richest square mile in Africa. It's so beautiful there. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, I just I, I I think that like people's imaginations of Africa um, is so limiting. So I really like that you had your group trips. Uh, yeah, hundred over a hundred people show up to your group trip in South Africa because I bumped into you at the at the damn hospital with Claire broke. Yes, yes. Only Claire could break her leg for chasing waterfalls. <laughs> okay, yes. only Claire. Thank God she's here now. But um, yes, I'm, definitely. Yeah, that's how I found out that you were in South Africa, so I'm I'm glad mm -hmm. to finally have a real conversation with you after almost a decade. <laughs> yes, you know the last time I saw you, well, besides November, was 2014 in Dubai. Yeah, yeah, I had just moved to Qatar, and I I didn't know it was like I didn't even know you were gonna be there. We were at a boozy brunch. <laughs> we were at a brunch at the Atlantis. Like brunches are probably <laughs> over. Ah, uh, like I don't know. Five star 
brunches? Oh, there's nothing like uh-huh. fucking Middle East brunch yes. turn up, honey. Yes. <laughs> nothing I think they're the probably going to start bringing the food to the table, if anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't even want to be in no bougie buffet, honey. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, what's next for you and where can people keep up with you on social media? Um, social media, people can find me um, <clears throat> mainly on my Instagram page, which is, which is uh, just me, Kina, and that's K-E-N-N-A, just me, Kina, K-E-N-N-A, or my other page, which is um, book, that ish, and that's B-O-O-K-D-A-T-I-S-H-T, or you can find me, I have a, um, a website as well, which is K-E-N-N-A-L Williams, LLC.com, or just look me up on Facebook. Um, you can find me pretty much anywhere. Thank you. But so uh, as far as what's for me is, um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I think I'm probably going to, um, um, because it, if I'm here for the rest of the year, um, yo, I don't know. I've been thinking about this lately. Um, one thing I want to do is um, try to learn some of the local languages here, um, get enrolled into some, I enrolled into some online classes, like I think most people are doing these days, enrolling into online classes, um, perfect my cooking, and um, get a, one of these uh, hooch recipes down packed. I'm already working on a second batch right now, so I'm finding that I'm becoming more domesticated, which Right. Uh, this is a not of me. <laughs> but, I, but it's cool. It's cool. I, I at first I was like, uh, but you know what? Now I'm like, I'm falling into it. I haven't been this domestic since I was married. I've been outsourcing this shit for the past decade. <laughs> right. It's been a decade for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm falling into my role again. I'm liking cleaning my own house and cooking my own food. It's, and now I have the time to do it. So that's, that's been that a part, the time, the time. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Shout out to our Patreon members. Thank you so much for your support. If you too are interested in supporting the Black Broads Abroad movement, keep up with us on social media and that's at Black Broads Abroad, B-L-A-C-K-B-R-O-A-D-S-A-B-R-O-A-D. And that's on IG and Facebook. And if you're interested in supporting on Patreon, visit www.patreon.com backslash Black Broads Abroad.